Alright, welcome back. This is uh, chapter 6 of the Cornelius Reads the Gospel podcast. Chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke. It's actually 7 o'clock. And I, 7.40. And I always told, I would tell people anytime I recommend the Gospel, I'm like, hey, it's only 24 chapters. The pages are very thin. You can read it in an hour. And so far, I don't think I've recorded more than 30 or 40 minutes total. Maybe 30 minutes. Um, let me actually look. Okay, about a, so far about an hour of read time. But I mean, that's not even just reading because uh, I'm also like paraphrasing and kind of like offering some type of interpretation also. So I would say about 30 minutes just reading. But if I were to just restrict it to that. But what I'm going to actually do is actually I'm going to keep going. It's New Year's Eve. I was going to go to this festival. But uh, actually the tone I want to set for this year is actually doing work right now i'm not really in the mood to go out and party i will after i finish breaking my fast or whatever but uh right now i'm just gonna keep going so if you're with me i'm on chapter six on a certain sabbath jesus was walking through a field of ripe grain his disciples were pulling off heads of grain rubbing them in their hands to get rid of the shaft and eating them some pharisees said why are you doing that breaking the sabbath rule but jesus stood up for them have you never read what David and those did when they were hungry, how he entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar, bread that no one but the priests were allowed to eat? He also handed it to his companions. Then he said, the son of man is no slave to the Sabbath. He is in charge. This goes, this kind of like repeats that narrative from going back to John the Baptist of basically saying like, hey, these old ceremonial rules that you have, I mean, they're, they're cool and everything, but at the end of the day, you know, um, they're meant to serve us, not necessarily control us. And they're definitely not meant to be used as weapons for other people to control us. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing here. Jesus was out his homeboys chilling in the fields and they just wanted to eat a little bit, even though it was Sunday. And since they're pulling off heads of grain, you're not supposed to work right on the Sabbath, but they wanted to they so they ate they were chilling they wanted to eat at the end but these pharisees are like you're not supposed to do that Jesus like get out of here so on another sabbath he went to the meeting place and taught there was a man there with a crippled right hand the religion scholars and pharisees had their eyes on jesus to see if he would heal the man hoping to catch him in a sabbath violation he knew what they were up to and spoke to the man with the crippled hand. Get up and stand here before us. He did. Then Jesus addressed him. Let me ask you something. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? He looked around, looked everyone in the eye. He said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out and it was as good as new. They were besides themselves with anger the pharisees were and they started plotting how they might get even because they felt like this is uh, so they might get even is like the text but they felt like jesus was you know upstaging them they felt like you know he was showing them out and proving them wrong because they were so beholden to this this doctrine and these strict rules and they had no room to see beyond their egos that this is actually pretty good for people 
At night, about the same time, he climbed the mountain to pray. He was there all night in prayer before God. He just needed some time by himself, I guess, which is good. The day, next day, he summoned his disciples. From them, he selected 12. He des designated as apostles. So he has more than 12, but he filters down to 12. I didn't, I just caught that now. This is my first time catching that. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, Simon, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You know, it said Judas, uh, he gets a really tough go at it because he, you know, turned Jesus over. Um, I think it's interesting as we keep proceed further just to imagine how Jesus might respond to Judas later. But let's continue. Coming down off the mountain with them, he stood on a plain surrounded by disciples and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, even from the seaside towns of Tyre and Sidon. They had come both to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to touch him. So much energy surging from him. So many people healed. Then he spoke. You're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely. Joy comes from the morning. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb if you like, for even though they do not like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. He doesn't want you to be comfortable. This is what Jesus is saying. And know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. But it's trouble ahead if you think you haven't made. When you have what you have is all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead is if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you only live for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, remove the supple moves of prayer for that person. Respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. That's what he says. Respond with the supple moves of prayer. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more payback. Live generously. Here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the bat? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? 
garden variety sinners do that if you only give for what you hope to get out of it do you think that's charity the stingiest of pawnbrokers does that i tell you love your enemies help and give without expecting return you'll never i promise regret it live out this god created identity the way our father lives toward us generously and graciously even when we're at our worst our father is kind you be kind i'm pause right here just because uh i just want to note that jesus who is going around as the son of god is openly saying our father not just my father he's saying our father is kind you be kind back to the text don't pick on people jump on their failures criticize their faults unless of course you want that same treatment don't condemn those who are down that hardness can boomerang be easy on people you'll find life a lot easier give away your life you'll find life given back but not merely given back giving back with bonus and a blessing giving not getting is the way generosity begets generosity he quoted a proverb can a blind man guide a blind man wouldn't they both end up in the ditch an apprentice doesn't lecture the master the point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher it's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own do you have the nerve to say let me wash your face for you when your own face is looking all messed up it's this i know better than you mentality again playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your own part wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor again we're going back to this the the plane metaphor the plane's crashing the, there's oxygen tanks coming down you have to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to before you turn to fix someone else's mass. That's extremely important. <clears throat> Work the words into your life. You don't get wormy apples off of a healthy tree, nor good apples off of a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Let me repeat that. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. So the things that like the things you speak, the things you do originate from the thoughts that occupy your mind. Very interesting. Why are you so polite with me, always saying yes sir and that's right sir, but never doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, Nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built the house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. I think this chapter is actually the mount on the sermon. And uh, I, I actually have nothing to add. 
um, I'm actually going to repeat what, a couple verses just because I want to. Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing, I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. Mm. So I'm just going to leave it right there. That's chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke. I'm actually going to take a look at Matthew because I think there's a parable in Matthew that I like a lot that's not in Luke. So we'll pick up there next.